Welcome. We're glad to have you here. Welcome to Parkview. We're doing a, a marriage series. So if you just walked in blind and you're wondering what in the world is going on today, we've been doing a marriage series, and today we are going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about physical intimacy. I think that it is a, one of the big reasons why people divorce. It's a big problem in our culture, and God has some things to say about it, and so we're going to talk about it promise it won't be over the top. I'm not going to be like the dad whose little girl said, Daddy, where do we come from? And he's like, oh boy, here we go. So I guess, you know, I'll tell you. And so he did the whole birds and the bees thing. And this girl was really young and she'd never heard any of this before. And her eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And finally she said, wow, Sally just said she came from New Jersey. I'm not, I'm not going to give you too much information, okay? It's not, not going to be over the top. But the Bible does have something to say about sex. God invented it. He likes it. He wants married people to do it. And we ought to be doing it, okay? Ecclesiastes 9.9. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. The original Hebrew on that is, yeah, baby. I mean, that. How many of you, how many of you Baptists ever heard a sermon on that one before, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, Song of Solomon 4.16, listen to this. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Uh, I feel like Michael Scott telling you there's double innuendo on this, you know? Michael would say, that's what she said. Honestly, that's what she said. That's a double innuendo there. She ain't talking about the gladiolus, okay? Song of Solomon, if you haven't read that, is one of the most sexually explicit things you could ever read. And it's full of all this beautiful innuendo of this love and this passion that was built up between these two people. Why, why is that important? Because God is the giver of all good gifts, and he is the giver of his most enjoyable gifts. And in our marriages, it ought to be physical intimacy, it ought to be there. And yet many of the people I talk to, kind of like the couple on the couch in the drama, uh, kind of like uh, the couple in that, that old comedy, that old sitcom, Mad About You. Remember that sitcom, Mad About You? It was one of my favorite ones. They were set, it was set in New York. There were a couple in New York. And one time, my favorite line of any TV show ever, he turns to her and he goes, sex, it's like Canada. It's so close, but we never go there. That's, that's not God's will for your marriage, okay? That's not what's supposed to be happening. God made Adam and Eve in the beginning, and he said, Hey, I made you, and I made you sexual beings. I made you male and female, and I want you to come together. The first thing he told them was, Go be fruitful and multiply. You know what that means, okay? Go out there and do it. And they were naked and unashamed. And I just can't imagine what, was, what, what life was like in the garden. And that's why I think physical intimacy in our marriages is so important, because that's one part of the Garden of Eden that we haven't lost. That's one part that we can go back to that we can share in together, and it can be very, very, very good. That's the way he created it in the first place. Now, along the way, the fall happened, and sin entered our world, and our relationships got messed up, and we're not naked and unashamed anymore, and all those things work together. But the plan was physical intimacy. Sex was supposed to be the glue. It was supposed to be some special, unbelievable thing that happened in our marriages that kept us together. And I'm sorry that you haven't ever heard a sermon on it. I'm sorry that the church has been silent on this. Not only has the church been silent, the church has almost looked down its nose at this. Uh, a lot of us grew up in more puritanical kinds of, uh, of situations growing up, thinking that the, you know, sex was something bad or it was just something that we didn't talk about. And that's so not true. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So I'm going to talk to both the guys and the ladies today. I'm going to split up my talk a little bit. I'm going to address things. 
Uh, let me just start off right up front. I know some of you guys walked in. You knew what I was talking about. You're hoping I'm going to tell you where the magic spot is or what the secret Christian way to get your wife to do something is. Or isn't there a scripture about how my wife's body is mine and she ought to put out? And I, I, I forgot it last time. Could, could you write that down for me? Because I'm going to memorize scripture now. I got this. I, I get that, okay? And I know some of you ladies came in here and you're thinking, yeah, if this guy would figure out a couple of things, I would invite him into the garden. But it ain't happening right now unless he gets his act together. Let me just say right up front before we talk about this, okay? Let me just say right up front, if you come into your marriage with an attitude of I'm going to win or I'm going to lose, then you lose, okay? You're in a church, okay? Jesus taught us that the way that we love is by giving, Jesus taught us that the greatest is a servant, okay? So what I'm going to try to help you to do is figure out what you can do to help the intimacy in your marriage go on. Now, I also know that a lot of you are single, a lot of you aren't married. There's some young people in here. Man, I wish I would have heard a sermon on this when I was your age. Man, I wish I would have known a lot of this stuff before I ever got married. And you need to understand what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, so we're going to break this up and talk to the men and women. Let me talk about the ladies first, Okay. Uh, for a guy, I know this is dangerous for a guy to get up and talk about women, but women, you can tell me later if you think I did a good job. I've been married for 26 years. I have a mom. I have a mother-in-law. I have three daughters, no sons. I have a female dog. I have estrogen everywhere, okay? It's everywhere. It's all around me. I've been surrounded by it. And over the course of time, I wouldn't call myself an expert on women because that would be just stupid. But I would say that I understand women a lot. And I understand that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I would also agree that when it comes to marriage and when it comes to this issue, listen to this, maybe the most important thing I say, doctors Cliff and Joyce Penner, who wrote the book Married Man's Guide to Great Sex, it's a Christian book, believe it or not, they say, I'm sorry, guys, i got to do this. They say, the only possibility for a life of sexual happiness occurs when a man moves in the direction of the woman. Oh. Thank you. I expected thunderous applause. Let me, let, me, let me try that again. The only possibility for a life of sexual happiness occurs when a man moves in the direction of the woman. I'm sorry. I come over here, baby, doesn't work, okay? I'm an expert in this. I've tried this before. I, I, we've got to move in their direction. What do I mean by this? I'm going to make this really, really simple today, okay? I'm going to give the guys a word. I'm going to give the ladies a word. Only one word. Only one word you have to think about when it comes to this issue. Guys, for you, it is the word no. I'm going to, not that no. K-N-O-W, okay? K-N-O-W. I'm going to know. I want to have intimate knowledge of my wife. Very rarely do I go back to the King James as a better translation, but in Genesis 4, those of you that grew up in the church, read the Bible, whatever, you got to Genesis 4 and you read this verse, and Adam knew Eve and she conceived. And you're a little kid, you're like, well, I don't know how that works. But once you understood how that worked, you finally got to the point where you go, oh, he knew her. Oh, okay. Now I understand what knowing is. But the truth of the matter is that word is so beautiful. Because it is so much more than a physical act. It is so much more than just two people coming together to have sex. Adam knew there was, there was this knowledge, there was this intimacy that was going on. Listen to John Eldridge. He says, a woman doesn't want to be related to with formulas, and she doesn't want to be treated like a project that has answers to it. She doesn't want to be solved. She wants to be known. Isn't that true, ladies? 
She doesn't need you to try to figure her. I know you're a guy and you're going to try to, you know, figure out all the details, but that's not what's going to work. She wants to be known. A woman needs to feel cared for. She needs to be known. She needs to know that she is more important to you than her body is. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Good husbands, be good husbands to your wives. Honor them and delight in them. Honor them and delight in them. The Bible says that two become one flesh. That whole idea of two becoming one flesh is intimacy. It's knowing each other. And did you notice it says become? It didn't say became. It's not like you get to the wedding and everything, you know, the priest does the thing and everything's done and you became one flesh. Because guys are like, okay, married, check, you know, sex, check, going on the next thing, check, right? That's not the whole deal. This is why, this is why the, the research is showing us that, that married sex and long-term married sex is better than anybody else has. Why? Because we get to know each other. We get to know each other. That's what's so beautiful about this. Now, some of you are in marriages right now, and you're like, eh, there's not much knowing going on, if you know what I mean. You're like the couple that, he, they were laid in bed one night, and he started stroking her arm, and she said, oh, that feels good. And he started moving his hand up and down her back, and she said, oh, I really like that. He started moving his hand up and down her leg, and she said, oh, don't stop. But he stopped. She said, why did you stop? He said, I found the remote. <laughs> That's funny right there. <laughs> Our culture views sexual intimacy as this thing that, you know, is great when it's young and you're virile and you have stamina and all that kind of stuff. The truth of the matter is the stats are showing us that it's about staying together. The Case for Marriage was written by a couple of secular authors. They did this big study on married life. And what they found out was that married people, I quote, have more and better sex than singles do. I mean, I think a lot of times our society glorifies this whole, you know, bar hopping. I'm going to sleep with a different person. It's going to be hot and it's going to be all this great stuff. Stuff. And the stats are showing that hot sex is what's really happening in marriages, okay? Both physically and emotionally, marriage, it turns out, is not only good for you, it's good for your libido. Again, a University of Chicago study has nothing to do with religion. But, while I'm at it, speaking of religion, how should you know her, guys? If you want to get to know her, how should you know her? Sociologist Andrew Greeley surveyed married couples and found that the happiest couples were those who prayed together. Couples who prayed together are 90% more likely to have a high satisfaction with their physical life than couples who don't pray together. you believe that? 90%. I know some of you guys are thinking, okay, honey, let's go home and pray. I mean, let's see how this works. I know, I know what you're doing, but, but think about this for a second. What does praying do for you? I mean, besides the obvious, bringing God into your relationship, which we're going to talk about with the hoopas in just a second, besides the obvious of bringing God into your relationship, what does it do for you? It creates intimacy, right? What do you have to do to pray together? You have to communicate. You have to be in the same room. You have to talk. You have to open up. You have to be vulnerable. Okay, so spiritually speaking, it is amazing. Red Book Magazine. How many times have you heard me preach from Red Book Magazine? Listen to this. 60% of the couples that they surveyed said they didn't like their physical life. It wasn't going well. But they said, and I quote, the greater the intensity of a woman's spiritual commitment, the more likely her satisfaction was sexual pleasure in marriage. Unbelievable. Why is that? Because God created it. He designed it. He wants it to be that way. So know her spiritually. I, I have to show my triangle. I show every time I do a marriage series, the husband's on one side, the wife's on one side. As they try to be more like Jesus, as they look towards Jesus, as they become more together in Jesus, what happens is they move up that scale. Do you see that they get closer to each other? 
The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to each other. That's what happens over time. People get to know her spiritually. Guys, uh, secondly, I would say get to know her emotionally. Okay, Sex does not start with the physical for her like it does for you. The Pinners, who wrote The Married Man's Guide to Great Sex, said, a woman, For a woman, it's more of a total event than physical. Women need to experience connection and love to feel sexual. Men just need to be awake. Okay, It's different. <laughs> Am I right? It's different. Dr. Kevin Lehman said, If I asked a thousand men, what is the most special physical act a man can engage in with a woman? people would laugh at him. He said, guys would make fun of him and say, boy, if you don't know, I'm sorry for you. He said, the problem is, if I ask a woman the same question, I'm going to get a completely different answer. Men think that sexual intercourse is the most, physical act, the most special physical act, while a woman will say that the most special act is just being held and holding on to the man that she loves. We get into difficulty in marriage when we begin thinking that intercourse is the most important thing. A husband, this is written by a guy, a husband who doesn't understand that his wife needs for him to express love for her by holding an intimacy will never have a happy and fulfilled wife, no matter how much of an artist he may fancy himself to be in the bedroom. Lehman said, I am, saying, am I saying that women don't enjoy sex? Not at all. A woman who has a partner who makes her feel loved and cherished is capable of receiving immense pleasure from sexual love. But there is something deeper in her soul that longs for intimacy being held even more than the thrill of sexual contact. And then he finishes up this way. The best way to improve your sex life, gentlemen, including your wife's desire for you, is to focus on the other 95% of the marriage. The best way to improve your marriage is not to focus on that. The best way to improve the sex life in your marriage is not to focus on that. It's to focus on the other 95%. You study her. You get to know her. What makes her tick? You learn her, uh, her, uh, her gift mix. You learn what her uh, love language is. Is it gifts? Is it spoken word? Is it touch? What is it? it? You understand her needs, her disappointments, what's going on in her soul. How are things going with the children, the in-laws, her spiritual work? You ask those things. You talk to her. You, what lights her fire? Is it phone calls? Is it date night? Is it notes? Is it emails? See, the problem is, you ask a guy what turns him on, and it's pretty, pretty obvious. It's pretty easy. Somebody actually gave me a girly magazine, and I looked at the inside. I'd never noticed it before. And here's what I found on the inside of girly magazines. Is that the baby? I'll go get her. See, that's sexy to women. Look at the next one. Ooh, look, the NFL playoffs are today, and I bet we'll have no trouble parking at the crafts fair. <laughs> Doesn't that turn you on, ladies? Look at this. I know. Let's take you shoe shopping. See, it's, it's working for you already. You, you girls are getting a little hot under the collar. Go on to the next. Oh, he's putting the lid down. I don't want anyone falling in in the middle of the night. Woo-hoo, keep going, baby. I don't have to have a reason to bring you flowers. No, not at all. And this is my favorite one. Hold that thought just a second. I want to pull over and ask for directions. That's sexy. Isn't it? Yeah. Ladies are like, that's what I'm talking about. I don't care about seeing you naked. I want you to do some things for me. I want you to know me. I want you to take care of me. That's what's really important. And, and, and I would say the last thing is to know her sexually. Do you know? I mean, first of all, do you understand that some nights are going to be macaroni and cheese and some nights are going to be steak? You get that, right? Everything's not going to be perfect. Don't believe the movies. Don't believe TV. It's not like that, okay? Don't set up unrealistic expectations. But do you know what she likes? Have you asked her? When's the last time you talked about her with her? Do you understand that you're a microwave and she's an oven? Do you get that? It takes a little lo- longer to warm up, okay? You've got to understand that. 
If you need help in this, we've got books out there. We've got some books available. Go get some counseling help that can be immensely helpful for you in this area. Don't be searching for the remote. Don't be blowing it off and saying, oh, well, it's no big deal. It doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. You need each other. You need to be there. And guys, it's not just, a, it's not just a something that you do at 1040 hoping that 1045 goes good for you, okay? It's something that goes on all day long. John Fisher is a Christian musician, and he uh, met this old couple, and he asked the man, he said, what's your secret to a, a great long marriage like you've had? And the man said, give her roses on Wednesday. Give her roses on Wednesday. In other words, do something unexpected for her. Take care of her in ways that are unexpected. So John Fisher wrote this song. Give her roses on Wednesday when everything is blue. Roses are red and your love must be new. Give her roses on Wednesday. Keep it shining through. Love her when love's the hardest thing to do. Love isn't something you wait for like some feeling creeping up from behind. Love's a decision to give more and keep giving all of the time. It's easy to love when it's easy, when you're in a Friday frame of mind. I love that. But loving when living gets busy is what love was waiting for all the time. Give her roses on Wednesday when everything else is blue. All right, I've got to have equal time here, ladies, so let me just sum it up for you guys. Uh, if you want a better sex life in your marriage, cuddle her, kiss her, caress her, love her, stroke her, tease her, comfort her, protect her, hug her, hold her, spend money on her, wine and dine her, buy things for her, listen to her, care for her, stand by her, support her, and go to the ends of the earth for her. Am I right? <laughs> ladies, that's all you have to do. Ladies. Ladies, what do you need to improve your sex life? Show up naked. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Ladies, I, I have one word for you, and it's not naked. I, I make jokes, but actually it's a lot deeper than you understand. I have one word for you, and it's the word respect. Um, actually, I've already sold out of the love and respect books that we had back there. Dr. Egrich, you can go on Amazon and buy it yourself. But um, this respect thing and it's how it's tied to sex is really important for you to understand. You're going to say, well, I love my husband. Yeah, you know what? If I ask most of the guys in here, does my wife love me? Does your wife love you? They would say, oh, yeah, she loves me. She doesn't like me right now, but she loves me. You know, I mean, they understand that. Why is that so easy? Because it's easy for you to love. That's your nature. Do you understand that nowhere in the Bible does it tell women to love their husbands? Nowhere. It says husbands love your wives, several places, but it never tells wives to love their husbands. Why? Because that's natural for you. That's something that's natural for you. What's not natural for you is respect. The thing that the Bible tells us is wives respect your husbands. Wives respect your husbands. Shanti Feldhan is a Harvard-trained psychologist. We had her here three years ago. They interviewed her for a book that she did. She started finding this issue when she started interviewing guys. And she interviewed 4,000 men, and she asked them this one question. She said, if you had to spend the rest of your life unloved or disrespected, which one would you rather have? I mean, those are two bad choices, but let's play the what-if game. If you had your whole life you could spend unloved or disrespected, which would you choose? 74% of the men said, I would rather be unloved than disrespected. Three-fourths. I know you're going, I don't understand that. Hey, guess what? We don't understand flowers, okay? We don't understand a lot of things about you. We don't understand shoe shopping. We don't understand that, Okay? You need to understand this about us, okay? Uh, I see this happen, and, and please don't, 
don't take this the wrong way. I see affairs happen all the time when one partner is an idiot and they go off and they do something that they're not supposed to do. But sometimes I see an affair. And I see an affair and I see, especially for a guy, I see this guy and he's got this great wife and this great family and this great life and everything is just the way it's supposed to be. And he throws the whole thing in the trash. He throws his kids away. He throws everybody else to go chasing after some lady. And I look at the lady and I'm thinking, what in the world? She doesn't look worth it. You ever have that? I don't understand. Why did you do this? I don't, you know, I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you do this to yourself? And what happens sometimes, again, not all the time, but sometimes what happened is that these people, his family, wasn't, he wasn't getting respect at home. And this woman, through flattery or whatever, the book of Proverbs says the adulteress gets her man by the flattery of her words. Somehow she make, builds this guy up. She makes him feel good. And all of a sudden he throws his whole life away because he's looking for respect. He's looking for one thing that he's not getting somewhere else. We see it in the Bible on the opposite. David, King David, is married to the daughter of Saul, and they have this great relationship until one day he's dancing before the Lord. You know? Now, I mean, he's dancing like naked before the Lord. It's really awkward. I don't know why he did it. I would have been embarrassed too. For whatever reason, he's doing it. And Michael, his wife, she's a female Michael, she's looking down at him from the window, and she saw him, and the Bible says she disrespected him in her heart. And that was the end of the marriage. It was all over. Because once there was no respect there, there was no love. Nothing else could happen. And further proof why, ladies, you shouldn't try to make us dance. It's just not good. Okay? <laughs> Dr. Egerich said in Love and Respect, respect is an attitude. It's a behavior. I don't mean that you approve of their harmful behavior or their sinful habit. You may have to confront them. If you're in an abusive situation, I'm trying to say this every week, if you're in an abusive situation, you may need to get out. That's only a small percentage of the cases, however. God knows what he talks about, what he's talking about. When he told the Apostle Paul to write these words down, it's amazing what happens when we listen to the Bible. Wives, respect your husbands. One woman talked to Dr. Egerich about this whole issue, and she said she'd been married for 22 years, and she was just now starting to understand respect. And she said, I finally decided to write him a couple of letters and tell my husband why I respected him, and I was amazed I was amazed at how it softened his response to me. She said, I've been praying for years that my husband would love me and speak my love language, but when I began to speak his language, he responded to me in the way that I wanted. We're all familiar with the you know, famous respect song, right? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It was a big song for the women's movement, right? Who sang it? Aretha, man. I mean, it was one of her biggest hits, one of the biggest songs of all time. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what that means to me. You know who wrote that song? A guy, a guy wrote that song. Otis Redding wrote that song. A guy wrote it. It wasn't supposed to be for women. I'm not saying that women didn't need respect. It was probably a great song for the way that we were treating women back in that day and things needed to happen. But it was written by a guy named Otis Redding to his girlfriend so that he could try to get it through her thick head that he needed her to respect him. That's what he was looking for. Why is that? Because it's that deep of a need for us. And it didn't work out very well because the next song Otis Redding had was sitting on the dock of the bay watching the time go. <laughs> right? That was right after that. She didn't get it. So he's sitting there and it's all over. I know you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about sex. What does this have to do with sex? Only everything. Let me tell you 
what the problem is um, with the sexual relationship in our marriage. And I'm not talking about an instance of no, guys, you've got to be realistic. Um, please, I'm not talking about like you've got to be ready any time of the day to drop in a hat. But when there's an attitude of no, what you don't understand is, I know you've, you understand that men have a more biological need for sexual intimacy, and you think that that's what it's all about, and it's not what it's all about, ladies. It is more than physical satisfaction. When a husband gets an attitude of no all the time, the matter of fact is he feels disrespected. It's his deepest need, and he feels disrespected. When you say no a lot, when you're unresponsive or uninterested, you're basically telling him, and I know you don't mean to, but when you do that, you're basically telling him you're not good enough. I know you don't mean to. I know you're not trying to, but that's what he's reading is you're not good enough. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Stop depriving one another so that Satan will not tempt you message version of this says the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality the husband seeking to satisfy his wife the wife seeking to satisfy her husband marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights marriage is a decision to serve the other person whether in the bed or out Shanti Feldhan the researcher said he will feel you appreciate his desire for intimacy when you respond to him sexually more often when you initiate periodically when you don't use it as a tool to humble him this is a deep understanding of the gospel of Jesus Jesus loved us without condition he died for us without condition we understand unconditional love we talk about agape love all the time we're supposed to love right we talk about unconditional love what about unconditional respect Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. And women say to me all the time, well, I would respect him if he was respectable. Well, hold on a second. Does he say I would love her when she's lovable? I mean, that's not, that's not Christianity, is it? I mean, again, I mean, stay, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about the things that are going. I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm talking about in everyday life when we learn to love each other and we learn to respect each other like Jesus did us, everything changes. This is critically important in the bedroom because the only time a guy's guard is completely dropped is when he's with the woman that he loves. So the woman has complete control to build him up and send him out to slay dragons or to pierce his heart like no one else does. You have that ability. If you don't do that, they're going to try to find it somewhere else. Maybe it's not an affair. Maybe it's at work. Maybe they become a workaholic. Maybe they get involved in sports. Maybe they get involved in hobbies. Porn, you want to know something about porn? I, I know that, ladies, I know that you, most of you don't understand the draw for porn. You don't understand why it's a $20 billion industry. You don't understand why it's so easy and so tempting to so many guys. It's more than just we like looking at naked pictures. There's something, and we can't, we can't explain it, and we don't mean for it to happen, but there's something about that woman on the screen that says, I want you. We know she's fake. We know she's airbrushed. We know she wouldn't give us the time of day if she met us in, in, in reality. But there's something about that that's alluring. It says, I want you. I want you to be here. I'm giving myself to you. Your sexual desire for your husband profoundly affects his sense of well-being and confidence in all areas of your life. Shanti said, making love with you assures that you find him desirable and it salves a deep sense of loneliness and gives him strength and well-being necessary to face the world with confidence. Another Christian writer, James Sheraton and, and speaker said, when your husband invites you to have sex, he's inviting you into his world. For most men, it's very important that you have a good time when you visit where he lives most of his life. 
That's why afterward he might say, I hope it was good for you as it was for me. It was his way of saying, I hope you had a good time visiting where I live. He said, I was talking to a group one day, and I, and I, I was talking to this, this you know, just a, a little small group and doing a little marriage thing, and he said, suppose your husband, he's just talking to the lady, suppose your husband comes home one day, and he brings you these beautiful bouquet of flowers, and he says, honey, I bought you these flowers. He said, I went to the first store, and they had lousy flowers, and I went to another store, and I went to another store, and finally I heard about this new flower store across town, so I drove clear across over there, and I got you these flowers because they're perfect to represent my perfect love for you. Here you go. I love you so much you're special to me how would that make you feel and one woman on the front row said he'd get lucky right there (laughs) and he said okay let me ask you the same scenario then and so he started talking to this woman who was obviously not afraid to be an illustration he said okay let me let me do the same thing in a separate setting okay let's say your husband comes home with the same flowers from the same shop and when he arrives home he simply smiles and says here's your darn flowers how would that go She said, well, I'd pitch them out or I'd throw them down the garbage disposal. I mean, there's no way I want them. He said, why? They're the same flowers. She said, no, they're not. Yeah, the flowers are the same, but the attitude is a slap in the face. He doesn't love me. It's all duty. It's not love. Sheridan said, I then turned to her husband, who'd been listening with interest. I said, okay, let me give you a hypothetical situation. Suppose you come home from work and tape to the back door is a note in your wife's handwriting. It says, darling, the kids are spending the night with my folks. Come in and see if you can find me. And you go into the house and there's a trail of clothes leading to the bedroom. I asked the husband, what would be your response? And he said, are you kidding? I said, okay, let me change the situation. Suppose you're in the middle of making love and your wife says, honey, could you move your shoulder a little? I'd really like to finish reading this magazine article. He said that would end it for the night. For the week, I'd be so angry, I wouldn't know how to go on. I said, but it's the same sex, isn't it? He glanced at his wife and paraphrased her words. It's like she said, the attitude would be a slap in the face. She doesn't love me. It's all duty. It's not love. A men's health survey, men's health magazine survey, found that 99% of men's sexual satisfaction for their partners was the highest priority for them. 99% said the satisfaction of their partners was the highest priority for them. 73% said their partner's experience was over theirs in every way in the physical relationship. Well, what is that? That doesn't make sense. I thought men were selfish in sex. You think that, but what they really want is for you to affirm them and they want you to respect them and they want you to live where they live. All right? So that's men and women. Now, let me finish up with the hoopas. That's what this is on both sides. We didn't have a wedding we didn't have time to clean up for. These are here for a reason. These are what the Jewish people get married under. There's one in the back, there's two on the sides here. The Jewish people get married under a hoopah. The four pillars of the hoopah represent what God told the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He said, I will take you out, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will bring you to me. Those are the four promises that God made to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel said, we will do what you command. Basically, the children of Israel said, we will, we do. That's basically what they said, we do. We will follow you. There's a marriage taking place. And for the Jews, the marriage of God and the children of Israel is the symbolism of marriage. And it's that way all through the Bible. It's the symbolism of God and his people is the symbolism of a husband and a wife in marriage. So when the Jewish couple would come to the altar, they would make those four promises. They would say, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you to me. That was a part of the intimacy that happened. Well, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he took them out into the desert and he led them. 
with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he led them with the glory. That was the glory of God. It was called the Shekinah glory. Okay, That was the word for it, Shekinah. It was the glory of God that was over them wherever they went. The Shekinah glory in a marriage ceremony is represented by the prayer shawl that they would have. The little girls would have a prayer shawl, and when they grow up, they would use that, and they would get married under the prayer shawl. So that's what this whole hoopah thing is all about. That's what it was there for. It was there to have God's covering over your marriage. So you don't get married if you're Jewish unless you're underneath that because you want the covering of God to be over you, right? You want the glory of God. Now here's the weird thing. Here's the tie in the sexuality, okay? For a Jewish ceremony, I don't think they do it this way anymore, but back in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would go and they would have the wedding. They would have the ceremony underneath the hoopah. And they would have the big ceremony and they would make the promises to each other just like God made with them and the glory of God would be over them, but they wouldn't be married yet. They're not married yet. They would literally not be married until they took the prayer shawl off the top of the hoopah, they took it to their house, they put it over their bed, and they had sex under the hoopah. I know, it seems weird, doesn't it? It seems weird to us because the whole sexual intimacy thing is so private. But the Jews understood that the sexual intimacy thing was something that was supposed to be underneath the glory of God. So imagine this, okay? You have your wedding. You take the, okay, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You take the prayer shawl off. Everybody in the wedding party goes to your house. I'm not kidding. They would all stand around outside while you took the prayer shawl in and you knew each other on the inside and then you came out hopefully more than two minutes later for the guy and you came back out again and everybody go, yay, now they're married because they know each other now. That's what it's all about. And so that's why we have these here. Not for you to do that with, not for the first thing, okay? I know some of you think, don't be sneaking in here. This is for you to do the marriage part, okay? This, this, so what we're going to do at the end of this ceremony is we're going to allow, we're going to have some of the pastors and the elders available for you, and they're going to be standing there, and we're going to allow you the opportunity to come under the glory of God because if you don't understand how important it is to have God's glory over your wedding and over your marriage and over the physical part of your relationship, I mean, that's how important it was. So you're gonna, we're going to have time. I mean, you, you got the, this is our last service. You've got time to be able to come in. And even if there's a line, I'd encourage you to go get your kids first so that they can watch you or be with you. And you can come up and get a blessing from one of the pastors or one, one of the elders, and they're going to do a little blessing for you. And we're going to do that as a kind of a chance for you to recommit yourself, all the aspects of your married life to each other. If you're ga- engaged, maybe you want to come up and, and, and do this, make this thing happen right now and ask the glory of God to cover you. Because you don't want to be without the glory of God. You don't want to go where the glory of God isn't. You don't want to be outside of the glory of God. You want the glory of God everywhere you go, don't you? So this is the reason, as I come back to the end of this, this is the reason why I did this series. I hope you know that. There are so many more things I could, I could preach about than marriage. Uh, there's a lot of uncomfortableness for me to preach about sex. I mean, I got my family in here, and I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just awkward, okay? I wouldn't do this. I want you to know I wouldn't do this if there wasn't a reason. And the reason is, as I told you in the beginning, I'm tired of hearing about people getting divorced. I'm tired of my friends who, you know, somebody's done and they're walking away. That's not the glory of God. I want people to see the glory of God in our relationships. I want people to see the glory of God, what's going on in our relationships. So more than anything, I I want it to be as long as you both shall live. You know I don't like country music, um, if you know me pretty well.
Well, my daughter has some stations programmed in the car, and as I'm flipping around, I, I hear some of it along the way, you know, because I'm a guy, I'm flipping through the channels a lot. Whenever I get to 98 or 99, this country stuff comes on. I don't know what happens. And, and I would hear this song over and over and over again, and the kid, it was this Brad Paisley song, and so it's, it's the one that I'm going to sing for you in just a second. And uh, I know I baited you thinking, you know, maybe I was going to sing Let's Get a Little Mud on the Tires or I Want to Check You for Ticks. I, I, I really wanted to, but you got shot down. I'm going to do uh, I Thought I Loved You Then because it's just so beautiful because it's such, so much what I want for my life. It's so much what I want for your life and for your marriage. To be able to get to every stage of your marriage and look back and go, man, I thought I loved you. I thought I loved you, honey. I thought I loved you back then, but now I love you so much more. I'll tell you why this is important to me. Because one of my friends died this week, Herman Grind. Herman and Bev have uh, been part of our church for a long time. We've been family friends. We vacationed at our place in the Northwoods. We've been friends with Steve and Denise and uh, Ed and Carolyn for a really, really long time. They've been an important part of this church. You may remember uh, Bev, that name Bev Grind strikes a, rings a bell. It's because I played a video that she made inviting people to a going away party that she had for herself a couple of years ago. She was diagnosed with a disease that she knew was going to take her and she knew her life was not going to be long uh, on this earth. So she had this great idea to have this big reception and have a big going away party. And she did. And we all went and had a blast and got to see everybody. It was like, it was like the funeral that should have been. You know, It was like before it all. And we could all say the things that we wanted to to her. Well, she passed away seven months ago. And... Um, and Herman just hasn't known what to do with himself. They met when they were nine in a Catholic orphanage, okay? This is one of those Nicholas Sparks novels waiting to be written. They met in an orphanage when they were nine, and they didn't have family, and so they bonded together, and they had this unbelievable relationship. They weren't the sappy old married couple. They were a blast. They were, they were so much fun to be around, but they, they loved each other so much. Herman had a lot of health problems, None of them included his heart. And two nights ago, he had a heart attack, and he died. And I was talking with the family, and we were just sitting around thinking about it. And the truth of the matter is, after 46 years of marriage and an entire lifetime being united, being one with this woman, I just don't think he had it in him to go on. And I think about that, and I think about how beautiful that story is, and I think about how much I want that in my life and how beautiful my marriage is after 26 years compared to back in that day and how I can't wait for it to be 46 years or 56 years. The world's longest living couple just celebrated 86 years last week. That's what I want for you. I want for the glory of God to cover over it and I want you to keep getting to know each other better and better. So I thought I loved you then. Lord God, as we come and have communion right now, I just thank you for my amazing wife in 26 years, and I thank you for how much more she means to me now than she ever could have in the beginning because we know each other and we love each other and we're there for each other. And I look forward to 46 years and 86 if you make us last that long. I don't really want to, but if you do, that's okay. Lord, I just thank you for that. And I, and I thank you right now as we come to communion. I thank you for the fact that Herman and Bev Grind 
are together with you right now. Maybe they're under the hoop up in heaven. Maybe they're recommitting themselves to you and to the glory of you. I don't know what's going on, but I know they're together. I know they're with you, and I know that it's perfect, and it's everything that we could never understand here on the earth. And I also know they're, they're there not because they're, they were good, not because they were perfect, not because they did all the right things in their life or because their good side was better than their bad side, although it was. That's not what got them there, Lord. What got them there was the fact that they followed you, that they served you, that they loved you, that you died for their sins. What we're getting ready to celebrate right now, I think back to the day that they were both baptized together and just one of those sacraments that shows us what it was like for you to die and be buried and raised again and as we take this communion it's a symbol of your death and your burial and your resurrection it covers over our sin you died for our sin so that whoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life and lord you also died to give us your glory and your glory is not just going to happen in heaven your glory is going to happen right here. So I pray for those who are going to stand under this hoopah. I pray for those of us who are asking you to come into our lives and to be in your glory in our life. Be with us now during this communion time. Let your glory cover over this place as we remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.